everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Amigo Retro Gaming Presents. I'm Amigo Aaron, joined as always by my comrade, my co-conspirator, my partner in crime, John Boat of Carshaller. How you doing this week, Boat? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk gaming. All right, all right, great. So, this being our inaugural episode of ARG Presents, we have decided to choose two games from the Atari 8-bit line of computers to discuss. Uh, from here on out, we will be picking our games in a very radical way, which we'll discuss at the end of the episode. But for now, Bo, you have the floor. Let's hear about your game this week. All right. So uh, my game this week is called Mule. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a funny name, but it's a serious game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, Mule stands for Multiple Use Labor Element. I was close. Okay. So um, Mule is a game that was published in 1983 by Electronic Arts. Uh, they've done obviously a lot of things, but their um, their developer is more interesting. Uh, it was this game was developed by Ozark Softscape. Okay, oh, I love the name. Yeah, they were based out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Aren't there like Ozark? Isn't the the Ozarks? Isn't that the Ozark it? Mountains? Yeah. Is that is that? I don't know if that's in Arkansas though. I don't know what if I it's a mountainous region down there. And you got the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. That's where they come from. Oh, okay. Remember them? No. The band. The Ozark Mountain. That's a that you. That's a no. Made up thing. That's a that's a real band. That sounds more like a roller derby. Look team. it up. Okay. Okay. Anyway, um, you're right. They they published the following games. They did Mule. I guess that was their their first major release. Then they went on to do another really popular title for the Atari Eight Bits called The Seven Cities of Gold. Yeah, I've heard of that. I think that made its rounds on some other systems as well. But these other games uh, they published or they they developed. I have not heard of Heart of Africa. I've heard of that. One, okay. Sure. Robot Rascals. No. And uh, Modem Wars. That I do vaguely recall that okay, one. The okay. game is intriguing. I hadn't heard of, of, of those. Um, but uh, in the early 1990s, they left their partnership with EA over a dispute to port some games for the NES. So um, I guess that they, uh, the NES version of this was published by Microprose instead of, of EA. Mm. Uh, funny thing about the NES version of Mule, that was the very first game I ever sold on eBay. Really? Way back in 1998, um, I actually took a picture of the game using a disposable camera, went to CVS, paid $20 to develop the roll of film, and promptly sold Mule for like $8. $20 to, folk, to do the film? That's how much it cost back wow. in the day. You want the one Man. hour processing. I didn't want to wait around oh, for that Oh, that's stuff. what it was. Yeah. So, <laughs> Gosh, I don't miss those it was, it was not a uh, It was not a profit-making effort. Though, Obviously, but that's yeah. that's my one memory of now, Mule for the NES. Mule for the NES must be sort of rare, because I've personally never seen one. It is. It's it's on the rarer side, for sure. It's it's sort of a, um, I call it a B-tier rarity. You know, it's not, not super common, <laughs> but it's not one of the most rare games now, either. Now, you owned it. Did you ever play it on the since you owned it? I did. Um, the, How did the, it play compared to the Atari? The NES version of Mule managed to improve upon the graphics, um, but take all of the charm out of the game. So really? instead of, you know, this this very retro-looking, you know, environment where your your sprites are single-colored, it does look better, but it just, it managed to somehow suck all the fun out of the game. It is one of the few NES games that uses the multi-tap, though, for its four-player oh, action. Oh, it had four-player support? Yeah. Wow, that's neat. That's yeah. really cool. So anyway, um, a little bit about the Mule game itself. So um, this game is a 
it's a combination strategy game and economic simulator, but it's so much more fun than it sounds. Yeah, it does. <laughs> because if you were to describe that to me, I would be totally turned off by it. Um, this game is set on the fictional planet Irata. Do you know why they called it Arata? Atari back? That's right. Um, and it was inspired by the novel Time Enough for Love by Robert Heinlein. Now, are you familiar with, with O.R. Heinlein? I'm not. I'm afraid I did, uh, I've never heard of okay, that Okay, well, one. he's one of the most famous science fiction writers ever. Oh, so, okay. Um, well, there he, you go. he wrote Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh. Uh, and many, many, many wow, other works. Wow, I sort works. of feel like a jerk now. Well, you know, you never claim to be a sci-fi or fantasy expert. Well, I so. love sci-fi and fantasy, but yeah, I'm not. <laughs> um... So the way that this game works is it takes place like a board game. You've got certain, you've got a set number of phases per turn, and um, each when each phase is done, that represents one month. So in there, if you play a beginning level in Mule, the game takes place over six months. If you play the advanced version or the tournament mode, it's twelve months long. Um, in the beginning of the game, uh, you choose a plot of land. Now this is very integral to the success of your your mission because uh, you you see a sort of a top-down map of the planet and you can choose either to uh, acquire land on a river or in the mountains or on the plains and that determines um, what you can build there and that's where the strategy of the game comes out so um, the way that mule works is you outfit your mule at the start of a turn. After you buy your land, you, you go into this kind of a warehouse looking place where there's lots, it's almost like a mini mall really, where you can buy a mule, you can go to the pub, you can, um, you can assay, you can assess land to see if it has any uh, you know, minerals on it, uh, which is uh, one of the things that you can do in the game. And then once you do that, once you decide what you want to build, you don't just like point at your plot of land and say, I'm going to build, you know, something here. It's different than, say, SimCity, where you choose residential zone and then you just click on the land. What you have to do is you actually have to go to the mule store, purchase a mule. Uh, the mule is, is generated and then you are walking. The mule is following you around. Wherever you go, the mule goes, okay? So you walk to your plot and then you press the button and then the mule... It, it outfits itself to do whatever kind of production that you want it to do. So uh, if you farm, then you're gonna be making food. You can set up energy, you can set up uh, mining. Those are the three main basic tasks that a mule can do. Um, you, can also, uh, you can also mine, you can mine smith ore, and then you can also mine this stuff called christite or something like that, but um, smith ore I guess I should tell you what each one of these things does. So uh, food is important. Um, you know, if you don't have food, you don't have as much time to take your turn. So you're not going to die. You never die in this game. You never get to the point where you're not able to, to take a turn. But what happens is if you're not producing enough food, you're not going to have enough time to do everything you want to do over the course of a turn. I found that out, unfortunately. Yeah. And I had no time. Um, energy is the... It's how much your entire production gives you. So if you don't have a lot of energy, your crops are not going to produce very much. Your mining operation is not going to be successful. So it's important to have energy. Finally, it's important to have mining because you need to have smith ore, which controls the price of mules. So if you don't, if you're not selling smith ore back to the mine, or I'm sorry, back to the the mule place, then mules are going to become more and more expensive. 
And that's where the strategy lies. Um, you can you can say, well, I'm going to control, I'm going to mine and mine and mine and get to the point where mules are super cheap so I can buy extra land and I can have more production. Or you can say, well, I'm going to not mine smith ore at all. I'm going to try and prevent anybody else from owning smith ore. And I'm going to drive the price of mules way up so I can, or, you know, I'm going to buy a mule, then I'm going to walk out of the mall, and then I'm going to set them free because mules are in limited supply. So that's it. That's kind of the way the strategy is around the game. Where the interaction comes into play is during the auction phase, which is after you, you get your plot of land and after you outfit it with a mule, you have auctions for all of the commodities. So you'll have a food auction, and if you're producing more food than you need, then you can sell it to other players or sell it back to the store. Same thing with Smith War and with energy. So um, those factors combine to make what on the surface seems like a really boring game, really exciting. Uh, the way the auctions work is kind of interesting because you've got all of your players lined up either as buyers or sellers and they walk towards each other um, on, on both sides of the screen and there's this music, uh, well the music actually doesn't play during this part but as you're walking you hear the chuk 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 and uh, it's, it's a really kind of um, cute and uh, engaging way to do the economics part of the game. Um, it also, you can fake people out because you can act like you're walking forward and then stop and maybe they'll go on a little bit more and they'll have to pay a little bit more for, the, for what they're trying to buy. So it's a, it's a, it's a really neat thing. Um, this game was very popular. Um, it was popular, but it didn't sell a lot of units. The people that bought it loved it, but it only sold, according to what I read online, it only sold around 30,000 copies um, over the course of its lifetime. However, it was ported to a lot of different systems. Um, I read that um, the developer of this game wanted to uh, code it for the most complicated system first, or the highest level machine first, so they went to the Atari uh, eight bits, which is you know a feather in the cap of everybody <laughs> in the Atari versus Commodore Wars. Um, it was later ported to the C64. Like we talked about, the NES got a version of it. PC Junior got a port too, which is I can't uh, imagine they sold too many units on that. Well, I can't. I can, yeah, <laughs> it was a it was an abysmal failure. <laughs> um, and uh, Japanese versions exist for the PC 8801, which I don't know what that is. Uh, the Sharp X1 and the MSX2 computers. Why? Wow, who'd have thunk it? Yeah. You know, so, uh, uh, I'm not. You know, this game got around a lot more than I would have thought. I'll be honest with you. I, I only looked at one other version when I played it, and it was the Commodore version. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to admit, the Atari version is way better. Uh, I actually like the sound. It's funny. I complained about the sound at first, but now I like the Atari sound better. And the the graphic of the rocket leaving and coming bound, it's much cooler on the Atari than it is on the Commodore as well. I'm, I don't know how the Japanese fared on it, but I thought I thought it looked. It's, this is a strange game because the graphics really don't mean that much, but they're very endearing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you could play this game without Graphic One. I mean, you could. This could be a text game for the Coco. Yeah. Um, well. But uh, but the fact that the graphics are there and they're they're really kind of charming in a primitive way uh, really makes the game special. Um, there's other things that you can do in Mule 2 that kind of alleviate the repetitive nature of just buying land, going to the auctions. Uh, there's a bar you can go to. You go to the pub. Depending on how much time, if you haven't spent very much time in your turn, you can win more money gambling at the pub. Oh, so that's how that works. Yeah. I was wondering how, what, what yeah. generated It's that. a random number, but it's within a set number of parameters. So if you've got a little bit of time left, you're not going to win as much money as if you spend the whole day gambling at the pub. You know, just like real life. The longer you spend oh, there, yeah. the, the, the richer you get. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. And uh, then we talked about earlier how there's also a land uh, assessment office. And so what you can do is you can actually um, choose a plot of land and tell this company, hey, you know, I want to pay you this much money to see if there is this Christite on the, um, in this plot. If you play anything other than tournament mode, that is not um, that is not available yeah, to you. I never saw that, and I didn't actually know about it until fairly recently either. Because when I was growing up, I, I was I always just played. I figured advance would be too hard for me, so right. I never did it. I knew it'd be too hard for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's other things that you can do too that I was not aware of as I as I played this game a lot as a kid. Um, you can play this game called Hunt the Wampus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, go on. Okay, so what what you do in Hunt the Wampus is, you might notice as you're looking at the map, you'll see these dots um, appear um, on the map. They're like little silver dots that'll twinkle in the mountains. And what that is is a wampus. So if you take your mule out there and you click on it, then you can actually you can actually earn money by by hunting this creature. And how does that work exactly? I never, I didn't even know you could do this. Like, you're right, I'd never heard of this. Yeah, again, this is something that's only available on the the tournament level. Oh, oh I of, see. Yeah, and so, but that's 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 another thing that you can do. So if you go out there and put your mule down, you'll just either find the wampus or you won't. Is right. that how it works? Right. And what happens if you find him? You get money. Oh you get wow! Money. You, now, of course, we've talked we we've talked previously about the game Hunt the Wampus. I wonder, I wonder if this predates the other game. Is the Wampus some kind of creature that I've never heard of except for these two games? Well, I think, isn't, <laughs> isn't the Wampus, isn't that a Star Wars reference? Oh, those are Wampas. I'm, don't you think that they might have just been doing a play on I never words? really thought, I never really, I, maybe I'm an idiot, but I never really actually compared I'm, the two. I'm almost certain that that's where it came from, and I think that the Coco game, that's the one that it's famous, or T.I., T. Yeah. the T.I. game, Hunt the Wampus, I think that that is that has an even more kind of a Star Wars. I think it's set in space, something it's like that. It's pretty remedial. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it was said. I don't know. I'm not a Hunter Wampus expert. <laughs> That's great. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But uh, but anyway, I you know my memories of playing this game uh, when I was in high school. Um, I went through a, a long period of time, probably from the time that I was in elementary school till like my sophomore or junior year of high school, where the Atari didn't get a lot of action. I was really playing the console stuff a lot more. I was caught up in the systems of the time. Yeah. Um, but when I when I got into high school, I started uh, as as I became more and more involved in the internet. I discovered that there were people that liked retro stuff, and I got more and more. I was like, man, I wonder if the old Atari still works. So I drug it up to my room, and I started discovering all of these games on discs that I had that I never bothered with because they looked they just weren't immediately engaging. You know, as a kid, if you can't blow something up in minute one, you're not yeah, interested. Yeah, I understand. And so I would sit up in my room, and I would listen to music, and I would play full games of Mule by myself against the computer. And these are not short games. Even on the beginner level, it takes like 45 minutes to get through the game. Um, this That kind of brings me to the, the big con of this game, I think, is that, number one, there's no save game feature. So if you get halfway through a game and you want to save and come back to it later, you're out of luck. Yeah. Uh, two... There is no way to skip sequences of the computer doing things in the auction phase. So if you know, like, if, you, if you're trying to sell something and the computer's not buying, or the other way around, there should be a way that you can press spacebar to just skip to the end of the auction. Yeah. That would, that would make things a lot, it would speed the game up a lot more. 
That said, if you're playing a four-player game, which I've never actually done before, but I would love to try. Oh, yeah. It would be a whole lot of fun. And, and this game is very well suited to that because um, not only if you're playing on the Atari 800, you have access to those four glorious joystick ports on the front, but even if you're playing with a, an Atari 1200XL or, or eight, or I mean uh, one of the XL machines, you can set it up with keyboard support, too. Yeah. I, uh, um, I think that would be pretty interesting to have four people playing simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, there are some random events that go on in Mule also. Uh, these are things that sort of shake things up. So uh, your Mule can go crazy and just stop working. It's so infuriating <laughs> Yeah, it just runs away. <laughs> and it's hilariously animated, too. You see him just take off across the, the landscape. It'll say that your mule's gone crazy. Right, right. Uh, there's a planet quake where um, it will reduce your production. Uh, you can have a fire in the store, and it'll yeah. destroy stuff. So that's no good. Uh, you've got a pirate attack, and you actually see the pirate ship. I don't know if you ever saw a pirate attack. I never attack, saw the pirate attack. But uh, you actually see a ship pull in and leave with your goods. It's no good. Uh, you've got an acid rainstorm. It's also you know cleverly animated. Um, there's pest attacks, meteor strikes. Lots of things happen to keep the game interesting. It's sort of a, some of them are good, and some of them are bad. Right. It's know? the random element that yeah. keeps the game interesting. Um, so this game is available on eBay. I checked this out um, in, in several different versions. Uh, one of the most interesting things was I found that there people have actually made a custom cart. This game was always only available on disc when it was first released. Mm. But there is a custom cartridge available for this that somebody has made that you can buy for 30 bucks. Oh, is, uh, for the Atari? Not yeah, bad, for the Atari, eh? yeah. So, does uh, it have a case and everything, or is it just a cart? It was a loose cart. The mm -hmm. one I saw was a loose cart, but you could easily you know, make your own custom case. And I don't think that that's ba that bad for a custom cart. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so either. If you're a big Mule fan. Um, I did see that there is one copy available that's sealed uh, that is not sold yet, but it is up for uh, for sale on eBay for two hundred sixty dollars. Oh, that's someone's some fishing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're going to get that because complete copies. I saw complete copies sell for around sixty bucks a piece. Mm. Uh, these early EA games that came in the uh, record album covers, they are becoming more and more desirable. Yeah, and this was a very uh, well known uh, box. I mean, I, I'd seen this box forever with the mule in the front with all the crud all over it, and I was like, man, that's. Pretty cool looking. It's it a does. good looking box. It looks like, yeah, it looks really, it entices you in a way Absolutely. that many games did not. Uh, and you can get the, the, even the loose disc is kind of pricey. I saw it selling for around 20, 25 bucks. Mm, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, I gotta say that when, uh, when, when this selection got made, I've heard about Mule for years and years and years. But I had, I never played it. I told you, I was like, man, I don't even know how to play this. I'm gonna sit down and learn. And you sort of gave me a little crash course. And I, I sat around this week and, and played with it some. And it is uh, one of the most, because we play a lot of board games, so we know what's pretty tight and what's not. This is a slick, tight piece of work. The people that did this really had a grip on what how things flow. I mean, they really did a good job. The trading aspect of it is unbelievably clever. This, the fact that you can have four people doing it at the same time, I mean, I don't, I don't know how they even thought it up. It's brilliant. It's quite brilliant. The whole game is actually, I mean, again, this is not usually my sort of thing, as you know. But this is one brilliant game. And I can see why I got all the hype it did. Because I heard about this way, way back. But again, it's just, it, you know, I'm like you in the old days. I want to blow stuff up or kill. And this game is, you could really play this with your kids or or, or your girlfriend or your wife and, it, and, and get a bunch of people together and have a good time. Uh, and it's 
it's there are parts that you can't skip, and it does, that does get old. And you sit there and watch that little bar mm-hmm. slide down, and hear the thing go. You're know, like, come on, let's go with it, you know. Or you're waiting for them to buy property, and they let the cursor go all the way. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. would you just be to pick your thing? But it's all worth it because at the end of every turn, you hear that theme kick in, yeah. and you see the we, guys march in, and then the numbers pop we up. We didn't really discuss the fact that the, the, the iconic theme from this game has been, God, I mean, you hear it all the time, remixed and used over and over and over. It's a, it's a, one of the most. Uh, well-known pieces of music from any game, I would say, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. So who'd have thunk it, right? <laughs> you know, of all the games that produce this incredible theme, uh, but it, boy, it's awful good. And, I mean, this game, I know it got real high marks back in the day, and I have to say, it was a very pleasant surprise for me because I don't, I needed an excuse to play, it, and I told you that when, you, when, when it got picked. I was like, man, you know, I've been looking to play this game. I've never sat down and done it, and I am pleased this punch that I did because I really enjoyed it. Now, it is kind of a sad fact that not only was Mule possibly the biggest success that Ozark Software ever had, or I'm sorry, Ozark Softscape ever had, but it was also the reason for their disillusion. Um, they, uh, there was a dispute that, was, uh, that occurred over creating a follow-up to Mule with Sega in 1993, mm-hmm. and I guess as a result of that, there was just so much bad blood that the company just dissolved. And uh, they they went on to work in different different places in the industry. That's a bummer. Yeah, <coughs> you uh, know this is one of those games. I bet the thirty thousand number sold was probably a pretty legit number, because this would be a difficult game to pirate and have any idea what you were doing. I mean, you would be complete completely screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm sure that they probably. Uh, Maybe people just didn't understand the concept. Maybe it was a little too heady for people back in the day, you know? But, I mean, something like this could be released on cell phones or something now, and you could make a fortune. Well, it's funny you mention that, because uh, we got some feedback from uh, Ricky DeRocher, who right. wrote in. Ricky Ricky is the, probably the world's most foremost expert on Mule. Oh, he knows wow. all, sees all. Um, he says that there is a modern fan-made remake called Planet Mule oh. out there that you can play online. You can play locally or over the Internet. And um, then there's also an unofficial sequel to Mule for the Amiga called Subtrade, Return to Irata. And he says it's pretty much the same as the original, but it has an underwater theme. So you're mining on the ocean floor. Well, that's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. And there was a version of Mule that came out a couple years ago for iOS. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Don't play it. Really? How yeah. could you botch it? <laughs> How could it, you possibly screw that the up? The exact same way they did with the NES. Um, they, 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 they prettied it up, but somehow it just didn't have the same indefinable charm. Hmm. So... Um, Anyway, thank you, Ricky, for uh, giving us some, dropping some more mule knowledge on us. Very good, very good. Outstanding work, Boat. Okay, so my first selection on our very first show is going to be Caverns of Mars. Uh, now, this was a title that was exclusive to the Atari 8-bit machines. <coughs> um, this was uh, published by Atari, and in a, in a weird way we'll get into, by an APX, which we'll talk about in a minute. Programmed by a fellow named Greg Christensen. Uh, this was one of the fellows that did the graphics, the sound. He did everything. He was a one-man show. He was a one-man show uh, from his bedroom. Uh, he did not do much else. Uh, he did, uh, of course, he did a sequel to this, and, which was available under a, a different names, which we'll get into. And he did a few other things on other platforms, which we'll talk about later. So... <clears throat> How did this game came to be? Well, Atari had a program back in the 80s called the APX. 
Atari, the Atari Program Exchange. They had a simple thought, and actually, if you think about it, it's pretty clever. So, Atari was very short in early days on um, an independent scene, if you will. People that were programming games and, pro and utilities for, the, uh, for their computers. And so they wanted to do something that would promote um, individuals that were making programs for the Atari and provide them a way to make money by doing the programming. And on the flip side, Atari would make money by getting a piece of the action. Right. Okay? It was a clever idea. It was called the APX. Um, so they, they had a lot of... They released this stuff on tape. Okay? There were a lot of people that got into it. But they really only had a couple huge hits. And this was the, probably one of the biggest ones. From what I could uh, find, this sold about 80,000 units. Okay? So the way it worked was you would take, you would make your program at home or wherever. You would send it to Atari. As the story goes on this particular game, um, Christensen uh, bought an Atari an, a year earlier programmed this game and sent it in. They said in the morning that this game came into the office, they played it. In the afternoon, they took it to the president. They said, look at this game. And he said, sign this dude up. And they called him up and said, you're going to be a rich dude. And he was down. This guy at the time was uh, basically in community college. He was just a real young guy. And so uh, they signed him to a, to a contract and they put this game out. And this game was a huge hit uh, back in the day. So he, they told him that at the time that he could receive up to $100,000 in royalties. I believe he ended up getting about eighty grand, So not too bad, especially for someone that's that young. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the game itself, and then we'll get into particulars. What, go ahead and discuss the game, Bo. Okay, so this game, you... Uh, you descend into a series of caverns on Mars, hence the title. Um, <laughs> and the game is really a game of two phases. The first phase is that you descend into the cavern on the way down. Uh, the first part of the descent, you uh, blow up various, uh, they look sort of like missile launchers, and you also shoot fuel to fuel up, which is, uh, you know, River Raid is really the only game that did this right, where you run over the fuel to fuel up. In most video games, you just shoot the fuel to so refuel. So like Zaxxon's the same, same gimmick. Right. Um, the second phase of the descent, you have to uh, face off in sort of a reverse Galaxian or uh, Galaga sequence where you've got all of these uh, ships and fuel tankers rushing towards you, and it's your job to either maneuver around them or blow them up. Uh, once you pass through that particular zone, you enter what appears to be a Martian city, um, and you slowly descend into this Martian city to reach what appears to be like a reactor core or something like that. And when you touch the reactor core, uh, you I guess you are, you're arming the bomb. You sort of dock with it, right? Yeah, yeah, you dock with it, and you have a set number of seconds to escape. And you, uh, you go through a slightly contracted version of the descent. They take out a lot of the long stretches before, and you attempt to escape from the cavern before it blows up. Um, you do this uh, five times, and then you complete the game, and then the game the game loops around again. Um, that is basically the the long and short of the the game. Now, in later levels, you know, one thing that always I thought was odd 
is that in the caverns at the beginning of this level, there, there are, as you come through and shoot the rockets and, uh, and the fuel and the little reactor things, the rockets never launch. And I, I thought to myself, man, surely later in the game these things would come up because this game has a very... The first level is very scramble slash super cobra-y on the flip side. Like, instead of going sideways, you're going straight down, which mm -hmm. it's, it's a good slant. And the first time... I, I hadn't played this game for years, but I remember liking it. And the first time I played it, uh, was uh, I went through it and I was like, man, this is an exact ripoff of, of of Super Cobra except going down. Well, the the missiles never move. I'd always thought that was strange that they would. Why put them there in the first place? I, mm -hmm. I don't know why that never happened. I thought that was odd. But I will say the game radically changes in like the what I would call the second phase, the second wave, when you're uh, dodging the incoming uh, stuff and the stuff is missiles and the like. Boat said the fuel ships. Man, at first, I could not get past this to save my life. It is, it's a quantum leap in difficulty from the very first part if you start at the very beginning. It's, it's a lot harder. And uh, um, it reminded me of the section of um, Super Cobra, or it might, it might be Scramble, I get them confused, where you're dodging the comets, and mm. you can't kill them, mm. and you have to be real quick. You can kill this stuff, but your ship fires at a slow rate. And so you can't just go through and just and obliterate everything in front of you. It's not like... You're playing uh, something, you know, like a Galaga where you can just sh unlimited shots. I mean, this, your shots are really slow. Right. And so it took me a while to get this good. It's one of those games where you have to get a rhythm, right? Did you have the same experience? Where you had? When you're coming on that second phase, you've got to get a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And at first, you don't have to really give a crap about the fuel. Once you get past that second wave of all that rocketry and stuff coming up at you, then you go into that third wave, which both mentioned was like a city. Well, it, in the first level, it looks just like a, a brick, couple brick buildings with an alley going down between them, right? You go down and you sit on the thing and you're good to go. What makes it difficult is the way up. This is the hardest part of this game, right? right by a long shot. Because on the way down, You've you've got your. I don't know if it's just that you're slower. I mean, it's the same maze, but it's just on the way up you are cutting corners. If you look at the ledges in the in the opening map, um, they're cut like they're the top and bottom are cut. So instead of just being a flat edge, it's sort of like it inclines. Yeah, right. It's it's like almost like an arrowhead at mm -hmm. the end. You have to use that little clip to get your ship over. I mean, it's you are pixel close. Sometimes you can even overlap your pixels to get around those. The first level getting out wasn't too bad. By the second level, I straight up couldn't get out. And I could never get out again, no matter how far I advanced until I ran a man. I don't know if I was doing something wrong. I had I watched a playthrough where a guy could do it. I could not do it to save my life. Did you? Could you get the ship out of there up to the second level? I am so glad to hear you say that because I had the exact same oh. experience. Um, I tried playing the PAL version because I was like, well, maybe it'll be slower in PAL. It is slower in PAL, and the colors are also different. I switched from the the playthrough I recorded to this one from YouTube, and you can see that the PAL version that it's it's almost like Mars is purple. Um, but uh, and I watched this guy. This guy runs through the entire game, and I have no idea what he's doing. To if there's maybe there's some way to slow the ship down that I just don't well, I mean, know you about. Can, you can slow it down. I can never. I can never slow it. I can never stop the scrolling long enough to actually get the ship right, up there. Right. And like what we're looking on the screen now is uh, this guy's nearly. I think he's at the uh, 
Uh, one on, uh, he's on playing on Commander, which changes the difficulty. I will say one thing about this we'll get into in a minute. As you change the difficulty, it, it changes the gameplay drastically. But in terms of negotiating your way out of those caverns, I don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just don't know how they did it. Right. I tried everything, man. I tried using the keyboard. I tried a couple different emulators to get to where I could not get past the second caves. Mm -hmm. Could not. So you would lose a man every I time. I even tried slowing the emulator down to 50%. And I was like, well, I'll record myself because I wanted to get this. This this playthrough is a little bit choppy. It's it's a really old Altera video. And I was like, I'll record the whole game at 50% and then I'll just speed it up to twice as fast so we'll have a complete playthrough. But I couldn't do it when it was 50%. So I, I've got no answer to that. It, I, was I was baffled by that. I will say as you as you move along in the game, one of the things, I mean, really, it's funny. when you pl I played on Novice at first, and I would play through the first level, and once you, once you escape the caverns after you've armed the bomb, it has a little cut scene. Well, I mean, it's got a little static screen where you're kind of hovering over the hole, and you hear an explosion. It says, congratulations, you moved on to cave number two. And then, henceforth, uh, there's a little flag. I like, I like a Gallagher, so where there's a little flag that says, okay, you, you've got one flag. You've gotten past the first level, and you get these flags as you go on. To tell how many levels you've gone mm -hmm. through, I couldn't tell a I couldn't tell a difference in the gameplay from the first, second, third level. I couldn't tell really much of a difference in at all, except for the fact that I couldn't get out of the caverns after the second, after the first level. That right. was one on novice, mm -hmm. and I thought this is strange. Well, as you as you move up, the difficulty it's not really how far into you, you go; it's how is the difficulty range from what I could tell. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, novice, and then it goes all the way up to commander. If you put it on commander, it actually changes the game straight away. Uh, there are lasers that appear; these kind of like laser gates that appear in the caverns that will that will oscillate on and off. You have to kind of navigate your way through. And then, uh, Roy, it, I I couldn't tell a noticeable difference in the screen where you're just there's a big jumble of stuff coming up at you. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you could even change in that because it really it's just the same stuff over and over. The big change is at, the, is at the end, when you have to go through that city to arm the bomb, it's no longer two brick buildings with an alley. I mean, it's it's crazy time. You're negotiating your way. And that, I couldn't get through that either. It was ridiculously tough mm -hmm. to negotiate your ship through there. Something else is that, uh, I guess the one big difference I saw is that as you go, uh, it fuel becomes far and more important. And I can't tell you how many times I would dock on that bomb and would have, like, I mean, there's a stretch where you go down the long alley and you know the bomb's at the bottom. And I was like, please get me through this alley because I've got, like, four or five fuel points left. Your fuel ticks down as you go. And it was always close. And I can't tell you how many times I would get near it and explode. Right. And it, it almost got to the point where I knew that I wouldn't have enough fuel, so I'd just go ahead and kill myself anyway. Because whenever you die, you start with a new fuel, uh, a full fuel tank. Yeah. Once you once you use up that fuel, you're boned. Mm -hmm. You know. And it's I kind of wish they'd done it like a lunar lander or something, where if you run out of fuel, you could at least sort of glide down. Maybe mm -hmm. you get lucky. But yeah. you know, I'll just collide with the reactor. But it, it didn't have that. Um, you know, graphically, <clears throat> this was quite a... I mean, I was pretty impressed. Uh, if you consider this came out in 82, mm -hmm. uh, I thought it looked good. You yeah. know, I thought it played... I mean, with the exception of the fact that I couldn't get out of the caverns, it plays well. I thought the sound for what it was was good. I mean, you don't need a ton of sound for a game like this. Mm -hmm. There's no ambient music or anything. Uh, but the... Uh, it looked at the cat. I mean, this could have been in an arcade, and I would not have. I wouldn't have been like, "Look at that piece of crap." I'd have looked like, "Oh yeah, it's another one of these crazy games." 
it was clever. And I'll give the guy credit. Uh, he took a concept like vertical scramble or vertical super cobra, and he actually made it. He made it made it really does change the game enough to where it's its own game. Because mm -hmm. at first I was like, this is super cobra, but it, it's his own game. And what really does the trick is the whole coming back out. Yeah. Now, uh, and the city part. Um, that said, what makes the game also makes me irritated by the game. I just, I don't get it. I don't get why I can't get out of the caverns. I mean, I'm not the best video game player, but I don't. I felt exactly the same way, and I was scared to death that you were going to come in and be like, yeah, I looped the game five or six times, and it was just me that couldn't get out. But you've got to hit those. I felt like I was hitting those angles at the optimum rate, and I still couldn't I still couldn't make the, the ascent. Well, <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Yeah. Well, unlike us, this when this game was released, it was met with a very, very uh, positive comments. Um, Computer Gaming World called it delightful. Addictive and excellently paced, which I would I would agree with all those. Mm -hmm. It's it, the pacing is good. Um, it has the look of a professional program. It does. Yeah. This could have easily been produced by anybody, and it was one of the few. I think there was only one or two games that came out through the APX program that were actually released by Atari on a cartridge. Right. This is and this is one of them. This is easily one of the two biggest APX games. The other one was a game called Eastern Front, which is the only game that did better than this one. Mm -hmm. It sold around 100,000 units, as far, from what I could tell. Which, I mean, again, if you consider this is 82, and this is, and these computers weren't cheap. I mean, uh, and they were the cheaper models, but even back then, they were, you were talking, that's like quite a bit of money. So it's not like everyone had an Atari computer sitting around the house. Right. Now, a few years later, yes, you could, hit, you could get one for, you know, a lot cheaper. Um, so... This game, of course, being so popular, they made a sequel for it. In fact, the same fellow made it, uh, uh, it Greg Christian. Now, it was Caverns of Mars 2. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the sequel too much, <clears throat> but I will say that it was not th as popular. <clears throat> um, I looked at it. Have you, did you have a look at it, Boat? Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, I didn't play it, but I, I had a look at it. It looks more like Scramble than it does. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. It's, 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 it, it just seemed like to me that it was a scramble clone. Why would you do that? Well, maybe he thought that he couldn't take the concept of Caverns of Mars any farther. Maybe he felt like in order to expand the game the, the way that he wanted to, he needed to make a vertically scrolling shooter. Well, it's not a bad looking game. No. And if you were telling me, hey, we're going to release a scramble or super cobra clone, I'd be like, yeah, that's, I mean, it looks pretty good. But. Uh, it's not a worthy successor to Caverns of Mars because it has nothing to do with Caverns of Mars. I mean, I'm you know, it's got a lot of the same elements that were I mean almost all the same elements that were in Super Cobra and uh, and Scramble. I used to own a Super Cobra, so I know a thing or two about. It. That's mm -hmm. one. It's one of the first arcade games I ever owned. Played the crap out of it when I had it, uh, and it was. I really think it's a fun game. It's not the most popular game, so doing a clone of it not the worst idea. But I, again, this was baffling and i'm not the only one that was baffled because not only did this not do well they eventually changed the name of it actually had a couple names and i think they ended up going with mars mission 2 as, as the main as the main name of it but it was released for at least for a time under the uh um, caverns of mars 2 moniker so kind of a bummer there um <clears throat> as we said christian went on to do some other stuff um uh, he actually uh, was a designer, and it, there's a couple games that take me back, but I'll mention them to you, Bo, because I'm sure you've played at least heard of some of these. 
he was a he has, he has designer credits on a game called Star Trek Judgment Rights and Battle Chest Enhanced CD-ROM version, which Battle Chest was a great game. Yeah. Uh, he now he I don't think he did the original. I think he did the uh, he did the enhanced version. So I'm, I'm I'm assuming somebody else probably took care of the heavy lifting. He just did the, the translation, but it's still a neat game. He also was a programmer on Battle Chess 4000, which is another game I played uh, back in the day. And another one uh, he did was the Bard's Tale construction kit. Wow. Or construction set. So a wide variety of projects. He's Here's a wacky one. He did, and I remember playing this and being disappointed, Battle Chess 2 Chinese Chess. Do you remember that? No. Yeah. No one, Is it like Chinese checkers? I don't. It's it's a different slant on chess with Chinese characters. That I didn't know how to play it, and I wasn't... If Let you me guess, to, this is one of those games that fell off the back of the truck and you didn't have the manual. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he also was involved in Star Trek 25th Anniversary, which was a pretty oh, yeah. good title when yeah. it came out. And uh, <laughs> probably one you played all uh, so much I can't even fathom, Mario Teaches Typing. <laughs> Big popular item. I don't even know what, what that came out for. I mean, what what's it? Well, I guess maybe it was it a maybe it was a PC game. I think I think it was actually cuz Mario actually had some teaching uh, mm -hmm. stuff back in the day. Um <coughs> so a little bit more about AP, APX. Uh, they weren't around too long actually. It's funny. When it, when Atari came up with the APX concept, it was basically to get a cut of that of that sweet indie cheese that they weren't getting. Mm. And when it got put out there, it ended up being a mega successful venture. They made a ton of money on this thing early, but eventually, as their as their mail business, you know, they they did a lot of mail in business and mail out cassettes and whatnot. Apparently, that started drying up. They started losing money on it. They canceled. They canceled it. Uh, so uh, they had a, something called a Atari Star Award, and this was a quarterly cash award that they would give to some of the APX guys. Um, the uh, it's, I'm looking at some of the ones things that won. Like the very first winner was this game called My First Alphabet. But what's interesting about that is he went on to take the money he won and and created uh, Alphabet called First Star Software, and they developed a couple big hits including Spy versus Spy and Boulder Dash. So the APX program, a couple big deals came out of it. Yeah. Before it finally tanked, and it's it's it's, it's a marker of a time in computing when. People, the, the, the computers were still rudimentary enough that people could sit at home in their bedroom and create a game that could go on to sell 80,000 copies. Right, and I, you know, I like the fact that, you know, manufacturers back then were a little more receptive to the public doing stuff like this, it seems to me. Uh, and I think this has come full circle, right? Because we've got um, Steam. Right. We've got the programs on the on the piece, on, on PlayStation, on the Xbox, where they're taking... Even Nintendo, and that where they're taking these independent titles, they're working with these we, guys. We've entered a new renaissance of ind independent developers. For it's sure. glorious, yeah. Actually, yeah. it's 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 and it's timely because there was a time where an independent person couldn't get his foot in the freaking door and mm. save his life. Yeah. So it's kind of a bummer. Now there were some homebrew versions of this game that were released on other systems. That's right. Um, there is an Atari Twenty Six Hundred version that was just released. I think it was released a ten year or twelve years ago now, two thousand six called Conquest of Mars, and as you can see, this game translated very well to the 2600. Um, there was a lot of talk about why this was never released for the system, and I can only assume it's because this came out at a time when Atari was trying to market the 5200, and they they, they had no interest in porting this over. Um, and but, you can see there's, there's stuff happening here that makes a little more, like the, the, the missiles are replaced by like basically like a gun. Yeah, yeah, like you're this, actually threatened in the first phase of the game. 
this doesn't, I didn't play this, but I had a look at it and it looks pretty good. I was, I was, and I'd heard it looked good and why, and again, it was speculation because apparently it was ready. It just wasn't put out. And this, I think, would have done very well. Right. And there's one other, uh, there's one other game that was inspired by uh, Caverns of Mars, and that is called um, Caverns of Minos. And that, did you read about this one, Aaron? I, I did. Go ahead. So um, this was a game that was developed by Jeff Minter, who is one of the crazy, kooky uh, legends of uh, the vintage gaming world. And um, he's obsessed with llamas. He did Llamatron. And, of course, he's most famous for Tempest. Uh, but this is an iOS game that uh, combines elements of Caverns of Mars and just general craziness, where as you enter a cavern, you actually have to uh, rescue these, I guess, these goats, or I'm not sure what, what animals they are. Um, and it combines several different genres of game into one game, but of course it takes its biggest graphical uh, inspiration from Caverns of Mars. Yeah, this it's got a little Lunar Lander in there, or a little... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, which because you've got thrust controls, right? You know, if you think about it, what a great combination. Mentor's always he always thinks outside of the box. I give him that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think Lunar Lander is one of my favorite old games. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember loving it in the arcade. Yeah. Uh, and and playing it. Of course, every console had a rip of it. If it wasn't, it was, I don't. There were very few that were actually authentic. They were mostly just like you know made up stuff. Uh, but I think it's a good idea. I, the, I, I have not tried this. I don't have an. I don't have iOS. Well, I can, I can tell you that you're out of luck, even if you do have iOS, because the app is no longer available in the U.S. store. No, oh, I bummer. tried to download it and give it a go today, and was unable to. I will say there's one more we can look at. Okay. Uh, in 2005, uh, this was included. Uh, Caverns of Mars was included on the Atari Flashback 2. Um, so this was a. Uh, um, Whack! It's just a slightly different version. It's basically like the Atari version you played, but with, from what I read, it was uh, it was it was more uh, uh, flashy. But I mean, I mean, the screen would flash more. It was it was you know, uh, it was like an Atari twenty six hundred version, but crummier than the one we just looked at. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this. This does not look nearly as good at all. I don't know if this is. Uh, if, if this is, of course, we're just looking at this random YouTube video, but uh, this looks nowhere near as good as the the one that was produced through the Atari Age Store. Still, I mean, up to that point, if you wanted to play this, you were you're uh, <laughs> you were limited in, in, in your availability. So, yeah. kind of neat. So, I would go. Although the one we looked at is great, and I, I would have to wonder if it was released in cartridge form anywhere because that'd be a neat thing. To yeah, have. it was, but it's currently out of print. Oh, I bummer. think it's very expensive. It's highly collectible. Though. Really, yeah. I can see why. I mean. As far as these, I mean, when you go back and look at games from the early 80s and the late 70s, a lot of them aged very badly. And complaints about this one aside in terms of the ability to resurface, it's a fun game. Mm -hmm. It's a unique game. You can see why it was addictive. You can see why it was popular. And it holds up. And I, I think that uh, there are pro probably, we haven't seen the last spinoff of it. Uh, that's for sure. So I looked up to see if... Uh, um, this thing was uh, had gotten reviewed anywhere. Electronic Fun uh, reviewed it in '83 and gave it a 3.5 out of four, which clearly not bad. The uh, uh, the fact of the matter is, it was probably like I said, it, with the exception of Eastern Front, the most uh, popular and most uh, widely regarded of the APX titles. So. You're gonna get something out of all that digging through all those cassettes. At least they took the the cream of the crop. So another title I wanted to mention that was an APX was that game called Dandy, which I'd read about before, and it ended up serving as the basis for Gauntlet. 
Hmm. And I'd read about, I saw it in a documentary sometime, and it was another program that was a home a homebrew program. So the APX program, it did okay. You know, it put out some decent stuff. Um, I looked this thing up on eBay, and there are, first of all, we should mention that the, the uh, much like a lot of the old Atari stuff, the box for this is awesome. Look, did you look at the box? It just, it's got, cool, oh, yeah. It's got uh, some awesome art there's, on it. Yeah, I put it up here on, yeah. on the playthrough. And so it's Atari games from this time. Uh, this is during the era of uh, computer games where you rarely, if ever, saw the actual box or the actual art from the game on the packaging. And Atari employed some of the best sci fi and fantasy uh, uh, artists that I've ever seen to do their box art. There was a there's a book that was just released called The Art of Atari yes. that gives you uh, close up a lot of detailed uh, sketches from from these these boxes, and this is this is one of the better ones. On eBay, this isn't uh, one that comes up a lot, uh, but uh, you're talking somewhere. You know, Atari computer stuff often boxed. It, it ain't cheap, brother. I can tell you that right now. A lot of stuff's expensive, which is why I've got exactly zero box copies of anything. Mm -hmm. I've just got loose cartridges. I didn't see any loose cartridges selling, but I did see the box version. It was, I think, the thing I saw was still uh, in progress. It was like seventy-four bucks. I'm like, it was. You're going to be paying near, you know, near a hundred bucks probably for, if, for a copy of this, unless you get lucky. So, uh, and I, I was thinking, man, that's a cool box. I'd like to have that in the collection, but it ain't going to happen, boat. Too much money. I understand. Mm -hmm. Okay, Boat, do you know what time it is? What time is it, Aaron? It's time to break out the Retro Roulette. Here we go. It's the debut of ARG Presents Game Selection Tool. Beautiful. So before we spin the Retro Roulette, let's talk about what we're up to. Here's how the wheel works. In these labeled envelopes, which I have before me, we have two sheets of paper, one from both of us. On the sheets are our picks for games for that system. Boat is going to spin the wheel. Whatever the wheel lands on, we will pick that envelope and then pick the games for next week. All right, here we go. Spin the wheel, Boat. Make so, the deal. Just so everybody knows, it's whatever the game that, or the system that lands right beside the present. So if it landed here, we'd be doing Vectrex next week. Okay, and I've got the envelope standing All by. All right, here we go. What's it gonna be, Boat? What's it gonna be? Atari, Atari 2600. Look at that. The right on the envelope. top. It was frozen. It's the old Isaiah Thomas gig. Camera. So we have selected the Atari. You realize when you hit me and said camera, everyone will hear that plane is dead. That's all right. <laughs> so, Boat, I'm going to pull our slips of paper from here and we can read them. Here's yours, cunningly labeled. And you pick the first game for next week. Okay, my pick is Dragster. Dragster, okay. I will pick Cosmic Arc. Oh, Cosmic Arc. So excellent. next week, it will be an Atari 2600 show. The selections are Dragster and Cosmic Arc. Sounds good. Great. Well, thanks for joining us this week on our first show. We hope you enjoyed it. And until then, have a great week. Adios. Adios.